Welcome back to episode 51 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Number 51 is a former New Jersey Nets power forward and former NBL superstar for Melbourne United and the Illawarra Hawks. Please welcome Josh Boone. And here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Today we're joined by former New Jersey Nets power forward, a man who was a star in the NBL and a man who's played our basketball all over the world. It's Josh Boone. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. It's an absolute honor to have you on. How are you going? I'm good. Good. Out here now, here in Uruguay, uh, South America. Just finished my season, so getting ready to head back home, hopefully, in the next few days here. Thanks, Josh, um, for coming on. Can you take me through um, your childhood and growing up? My childhood and growing up? Um, uh, initially, I'm, I'm from New York originally. Um, from upstate New York, about an hour and a half outside of New York City. Um, I lived with there with my family until I was 12. And then my mom got a job down in Baltimore in Maryland. So we moved down to Maryland. And that's where I did uh, middle school and high school. Um, played a lot of sports growing up. Um, started out with soccer. Uh, there <laughs> football, as everyone else in the world calls it. Um, then went to basketball from there, played some baseball, played football. Um, football was actually my main sport growing up, um, up and up until like kind of high schoolish time frame. Um, football was probably my best sport. And then in high school, my basketball coach basically told me that I'm not playing football anymore. <laughs> so my, uh, my football career abruptly ended there. Uh, and that's American football, by the way. Um, but yeah. Um, lived with my mother, her sister, and uh, my two cousins for the most part when I was growing up. Um, only male and an all female household, not the easiest <laughs> thing to do. Uh, you get blamed for everything, basically. Um, but yeah, that was that was pretty much it. And um, so what kind of player were you um, throughout your high school years? What kind of player was I? Yeah, what kind of player? Um, in high school, I was... I mean, honestly, up until, you know, the, the funny thing that, that people would never guess is that up until 11th grade, um, I was actually a small forward. I was a wing. <laughs> I, I played the three um, because, you know, I was, I was taller, but I was one of these people that I just kind of kept growing when everybody else stopped. You know, um, most of my friends stopped growing around junior year, whereas I put on two inches or I guess that'd be what, like five, six centimeters, something like yeah. that um, every year in between high school years. So I went in at six, two and I left at six, eight. But up until 11th grade from from like, from like the time I was probably 11 or 12 until my junior year of high school, I was a three. Um, so I was a, a slasher. Um, I was a guy that. My, my teammates used to always make fun of me because I would I would drive into the lane, jump up in the air, throw three different fakes, and then dump it <laughs> off to one of the big guys. Um, that was that was kind of my thing, and that was, you know, I'm I'm a relatively good passer for a big man at this point, and I think a lot of that comes from playing the wing when I was younger. Um, what? Go ahead. Uh, you started 37 um, out of 38 games. You know, at the start of your college career, I'm at UConn as a freshman. How did you find your first year? Um, getting used to and settling into that college system. Uh, it was it was tough. It was it was really tough. Um, I had actually done an extra year of high school. So in the states, we have what's called a postgraduate program, and a lot of um, preparatory schools offer it, where they'll allow a high school player that has done four years of high school to go and do a fifth year of high school. Uh, a lot of guys will do it to get their grades better so that they can make the, um, the grade standards for college. Whereas me, I did it because most of the higher level basketball schools had told me that they wanted to redshirt me, which means I could go, I could practice with a team, but I wasn't going to be playing until the following year. So they said either, either you can redshirt and come here or you can do a year of prep instead. So I ended up, um, I ended up doing a year of prep. So that prepared me a little bit better. Um, but it was tough, man. It's the transition from 
from high school to college, especially at the level that I was playing, is not easy. Um, there were times where I was very disappointed in myself, especially early on, you know, in, in the preseason, because I wasn't really practicing overly well. And, and even though I didn't really have a lot of, um, you know, I didn't really have much pressure on me because I came in with a couple of really big name players. Yeah. Um, it was still pressure that I put on myself. So, so I was pretty upset the first couple of first couple of months, probably. But once I kind of got into the flow and got used to the game, it started to become a bit easier for me. And, you know, I had I had some really good um, older guys as well to help me along. I had one of the best mentors I could have possibly asked for and a guy named the Mecca Okafor. Um, he was a, a top three pick uh, several years ago in the NBA, he played a lot of years in the NBA, was um, college player of the year. So that he was really the main reason why I went to UConn in the first place was to have a year to learn from him. And, and he taught me a lot, and he really helped me along that first year. Um, what degree were you studying in college, or were you always sort of solely focused on basketball? Um, I, I went into school. I was actually going to get a business degree. Um, I, went, I, I ended up in the business school my first year, which um, doesn't usually happen at UConn. It usually takes until your sophomore or junior year to get into business school. I went in as a freshman. Um, but I ended up changing my major because I, it was just boring for me. So I changed to psychology because I was, I've always been very interested in trying to figure out, um, you know, why people do the certain things that they do, why they say certain things that they say. Um, so psychology was kind of a, a much better fit for me, even though I'm probably not going to use it as a <laughs> professional thing. Um, it's still nice because I think that's something that you can use on an everyday basis. Um, I see that you were the Big East Defensive Player of the Year, selected in the old Big East second team in your sophomore year. Do you value defense or offense more in your game? I've always been a defensive first player. Um, you know, grow, even, even growing up, um, blocking shots was one of my favorite things to do. And <laughs> it, it continued into college. Uh, I, I happened to play for – a team that led the country in block shots, I think five, either four or five years in a row, we led the entire country in block shots because we always had two or three guys on our team that were great shot blockers. Um, you know, we had, we had several NBA players um, throughout that time frame at my position or at the big positions. You know, you're talking about myself, Mecca Okafor, Hilton Armstrong, Charlie Villanueva, Rudy Gay, um, uh, Jeff Adrian, you know, all these guys were either first or, or second round picks. And all of them were, were great defenders. So, you know, for, for me, I've always thought that, um, that defense wins championships. It's kind of a colloquialism at this point, but uh, it's, it's the truth. The, the best teams that I've been on, the teams that have won championships, have been the teams that have been able to defend. So it's always been um, at the front of my mindset. Uh, taken at the 23rd pick in the 2006 NBA draft uh, by the New Jersey Nets, what was the whole entire draft experience like for you? Um, it was a lot of flying. It was a lot of flying. I had to do a lot of workouts for a lot of NBA teams because they're, you know, some guys, they know, okay, they're going to be a top 10 pick. Mm -hmm. Some guys, they know, okay, they're probably going to be late second round. You know, there's really only a couple of teams that might take them. For myself, there was a major, major question as to where I was going to go in that draft. Mm -hmm. So I actually worked out for every team from pick number 15 to pick number 30. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, including the New Jersey Nets twice. Mm -hmm. So in, in a two to two and a half month span, I'm flying all around the country. You know, I actually, um, I, I did, I did Portland. I did Phoenix. I did um, uh, one of the Texas team, I think maybe Houston, um, you know, really everybody in that kind of, um, section of the draft I worked out for. So it was, it was a lot of flying. It was a lot of workouts. It was, um, it was tough. It was not an easy couple of months. I actually spent the previous few months out in the Chicago area. Um, one of my coaches from UConn was out there. Uh, the guy that actually recruited me, Clyde Vaughn, he lives out in the Chicago area and he was putting me through. Uh, most of my kind of um, preparation work for the draft. So I was out there initially, and then I started traveling. What was that like when you sort of heard your name um, called out at the draft? 
It was it was cool. I was I was not somebody that um, went to Madison Square Garden for the draft. I stayed at home. I had um, some of my closest friends and my family at home, and we were watching because my my mindset was that if I wasn't a lottery pick, I didn't necessarily want to go. And especially, you know, I didn't want to go if I wasn't going to be able to stake, uh, shake Davis Stern's hand. You know, that was the thing that <laughs> I do and. Up until draft night, there was still a question as to where I was going to go. Um, you know, we didn't know if I was going first round or second round. We thought I had a good chance to go first round because I had, like I said, I had worked out for everybody in the first <laughs> round and and had some pretty good workouts in some of those places. But we hadn't been contacted by any teams, so we didn't know. Um, it was kind of interesting because the day of the draft, basically every newspaper in New York had put out that the New York Knicks had guaranteed me at 20. <laughs> I had not heard from the New York Knicks. I had no idea. But for some reason, every media outlet in New York seemed to think I was going. And, you know, it was it was probably because, you know, somebody started a rumor. And the other thing, too, is that playing for UConn, um, we're relatively close to New York City. We're about two hours outside of New York City, uh, two, two and a half hours. So a lot of the New York would cover UConn. So everybody in New York already knew who I was. So I guess it was just that kind of familiarity as well, coupled with maybe just somebody throwing some nonsense out there. The Knicks had never talked to me, so it wasn't going to happen. But it was it was kind of funny because, as I said, that was in every media outlet. So when the New York Knicks announced their pick at 20 and it was Ronaldo Balkman, you could hear everybody crowd was almost confused more than anything, because I think everybody thought that I was going to the next oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's 2006 Summer League. You ranked first in the league um, in boards at nine a game and second in blocks um, at 1.67 a game, I believe. Um, can you expand on this Summer League through your eyes? Yeah, I think that I think the best stat that isn't in there too is that um, a guy named Marcin Gortat dunked on me pretty good. I don't, <laughs> I don't get, I don't get dunked on very much, but uh, Gortat, he he's had he had a very good career. He played for the Wizards. He played for the Magic. I think he had gotten drafted by the Magic and was playing for him. He's a Polish guy, and uh, and he caught me pretty good one game. Um, but yeah, you know, summer summer league was cool. You know, we went down to Orlando. It was a like a four day or so training camp, I think. And then we started the games and I think it was, I don't know, five, six games, something like that. It's a little bit different format now. You know, back then it was more of a round robin kind of uh, style, whereas now they actually turned it into a playoff type thing where they have a winner at the end. Um, so it was a little bit different at that point. Um, but it was good. Uh, I was doing it all with a, a torn labrum in my shoulder. I had, wow. <laughs> I had torn my shoulder back in January of my junior year in college and decided not to get it fixed, was able to still play through it and waited until right after summer league. And then, you know, it, I, I needed to get it fixed before the start of the season, but I wanted to get through summer league first. So I made sure that I, you know, powered through summer league. And then as soon as summer league was over, I got it done. Um, so I was out for, I think about four months after that. I missed the, I missed the first couple of months of my rookie season. Um, so what was that like sort of getting your strength back up um, from that labrum injury? It's, it wasn't really that difficult. It's the only upper body injury that I've ever dealt with in terms of needing surgery. Um, so that was a little bit different for me. Usually it's been knees, ankles, things like that for me. Um, I think it was just more, the, the worst part about it for me was just the fact that it was right at the beginning of my rookie year. So I wasn't going to be able to start my first game of my rookie season until several months into the season. You know, that, that part was pretty disappointing for me. I got really tired of riding the bike. I had to ride the bike every day during practice for like two hours. I just sat on the bike and rode. So, so that was really not a whole lot of fun. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it's just with, with the injuries like this, you just have to be patient you just have to work hard and, and do your rehab, but not go too far ahead of yourself at the same time. Uh, you made your NBA debut against the Philadelphia 76ers on December 2, uh, 2006. Getting that opportunity um, of NBA minutes, can you describe that first game um, and what it was like to walk onto the court for those first NBA minutes? Uh, honestly, I wish I could remember. I, I, <laughs> I do not even – I don't even remember. You know, listen, I, I have played in – 
I mean, it's, it's got to be close to 600 or so, maybe more professional games at this point in my career. So uh, there are specific games that I remember. That game is actually not one that I remember because I don't think I really did anything meaningful yeah. in it. Uh, the only thing I will say, I do have a, um, a very large picture that I have framed of myself checking into the game for the first time. My uncle actually... He used to come to the game and uh, and take photos. Um, the the team used to I, I had managed to get him a press pass so he could come on to the floor and um, shoot pictures both before and during the game. So he used to take pictures every game that he was come to, and he came to the first game and got a picture of me walking to the uh, the scorers table for the first time. So that's pretty cool. That's really the only thing I remember about the game, quite honestly. <laughs> I think I made like two rebounds or something like that. I don't know. I don't think I scored that game though. Um, in late 2007, you found yourself um, in the starting five with the Nets and starting to consistently put up um, double-doubles almost every night. Um, can you elaborate on this time period for you? Yeah, the, the, the crazy thing about professional sports is that you, you always have to be ready. You never know what can happen. And it's a conversation that I've had with a lot of guys over the years, a lot of younger guys, especially on teams that I've been on, who you know, might not be playing or really working hard in practice, but just aren't really in the rotation. And I always tell them, you know, you just never know what can happen. Um, case in point for me, my second season, uh, I had kind of been up and down in terms of playing, just like in my rookie season, you know, some games I would play 20 some minutes, some games I'd only play six or seven minutes. <laughs> uh, we had our starting center get hurt about 20 games or so into the season that year. He, he tore his knee. And I ended up moving in the starting lineup then and was lucky enough that I had guys like Jason Kidd, Vince Carter and Richard Jefferson around me that could just make me look good every night. You know, <laughs> they, they, they made my life a lot easier, especially, um, you know, playing, playing with RJ was a little bit different. R, RJ uh, didn't like to pass the ball nearly as much. And I'll tell him that to his face. I actually messaged with him earlier today. Um, but, but Vince and Jason Kidd, you know, both of them, as long as I just ran around with my hands ready, they were going to find me and I was going to walk into 10 points every night. And then it was just a matter of getting rebounds. And, and in the NBA, the game is so long. There's so many shots that go up. Rebounds weren't really that hard to come by. So, you know, if I was on the court, I was going to get six, seven, eight rebounds, you know, depending <laughs> on. The um, but it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I actually that season later on in the season uh our starting foreman ended up becoming a guy named sean williams who i had played against in boston when he was at boston college um he had gotten drafted a year after me and so he was a rookie i was a, i was a, a second year guy so we had two really young guys playing at the four and five so it was it was interesting to have that contrast between the big three that we had who were you know veterans of 11 12 13 <laughs> years and, you know, some of the best that have ever played the game. And then you just had these two young guys throwing in with them that were just running around with, you know, like chickens with their head cut off. <laughs> what was it like to play with um, guys like you mentioned, Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, and um, the great Vince Carter? Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a great experience. Um, I still maintain to this day that Jason Kidd lost me a lot of money by getting <laughs> traded. And, 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 I, and I've told him that too. Um, but he, he's absolutely the best point guard I've ever played with, you know, hand, hands down. He's, he's an NBA hall of famer and he is just a guy that no matter where you are on the court, if you're open, he's going to find you and he's going to find you at the perfect time. Every time, um, Vince is the greatest athlete that I have ever seen in person. Um, I've never seen somebody that is just so physically gifted. That is just absolutely great at any sport, anything like involving physicality, he's good at, you know, we used to play, we would play a softball game at the beginning of every year. We did, we would do um, coaches and staff versus players and inevitably Vince would hit a home run during that game. Um, you know, we would, we would do bowling or something and Vince would go out and bowl a 260. Like, you know, he was, he was just so naturally gifted. Um, it was amazing. The, the, some of the things that I saw him do in practice were just ridiculous. And it was, it was kind of funny though, because 
you know, he would he would do like a 360 layup or something like that and just make it look super easy. And I would and I would make fun of him for that. <laughs> but then there would be times where a lot of times like I I over the years, I got very good at just catching and finishing. So there would be times where I would catch a pass that somebody would throw, not even look at the basket, but I just knew where it was. So I would be <laughs> able to finish it. And he used to always make fun of me for that. He's like, man, you, you, you talk to me about all these three sixties and stuff. Like mm-hmm. you don't even look at the basket when you shoot half the time. <laughs> um, so it was kind of a running joke back and forth between us, but yeah, it was, it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget for sure to get to play with those guys. Uh, post NBA, I believe um, you saw him with him. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, and if I'm saying it wrong, Zhejiang Golden Bulls um, of China. <laughs> How did this uh, uh, opportunity present itself? Yeah, um, th- the, those Chinese words like that are really hard to pronounce. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> for a while when I was there. So, so technically, it would be the Jujong Chojo yeah. Golden Bulls. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and that experience was cool. You know, I actually, I I had an NBA opportunity at that time. Actually, I had two at that time, and I turned them both down. Um, I turned I turned one down before I went out to China the first time. And then I turned another one down when I came back home. Um, but I played in China for about two and a half years or so. I did two, two full seasons with the same team. And then my third season, uh, I was, we were four games, I think four games into the year. Um, at the time we were three and one. I was leading the league in rebounding. I was second in the league in block shots and they decided that they were just tired of me. So they sent me home. So they cut me. Um, so my experience there didn't end overly well. Um, granted, about a month, month and a half later, uh, I received a phone call from my translator over in China. And he said, hey, uh, the team's not happy with the guy that they replaced you with. And they want to bring you back for about twice as much money as you were making. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I had hurt my knee literally the night before I was playing in the developmental league, the NBA developmental league uh, for a team in Iowa. And I had injured my knee literally probably 12 hours before he called me back to say that the Chinese team wanted me back. And when he called me, I knew I was hurt. I didn't know how bad, but I knew it was probably pretty bad. So when he said, um, you know, the team will pay you double, I said, okay, well, if they'll pay me triple, then I'll come like knowing, knowing that they weren't going to say yes to that. And, and honestly, if they would have said yes to that, I would have found a way to get out there. I would have tried to do, you know, pregame layups got, you know, maybe I got hurt in pregame and that (laughs) taking a month's worth of money and going home at that point. Um, Uh, um, what was the, um, you mentioned playing in the D league on with Iowa. Can you take me through those sort of years in 2013 and 2014 and how you found that experience and can that, that compared that sort of league compared to, you know, playing in the NBA? Um, you know, the, the level is certainly below what the NBA is. Uh, the D league, a lot of times it's, it's either younger guys that have um, the teams have their rights and NBA teams have their rights or it's, a little bit older guys that probably didn't get drafted. They're trying to make their way in. Uh, so the, the level is not quite at the NBA. It's still, it's still a good level, but it's not where the NBA level is. Um, my first, my first, I did kind of two stints there. The first stint was only two games and then I got hurt. Like I was talking about. Um, the other time was after I had recovered from my injury and I had come home from the Philippines, I ended up going, back to this same Iowa team. And I was there for about two and a half months, I think, like the final two, two and a half months of the season. And, and honestly, it was not a very fun experience. And, you know, I, I was kind of up and down as far as playing time went as well as again, uh, I was by myself in, in Des Moines, Iowa, um, which is, is a little bit, um, there's not as many people <laughs> as I'm used to. <laughs> Uh, it's a much quieter town. Um, and I was just, honestly, I was, I was feeling pretty lonely. I was feeling a little bit depressed and, and it was a little bit of a tough time for me, um, being out there in Iowa. 
So I was very, very grateful when I got my next opportunity to go to the Middle East later that summer. Uh, that opportunity, I'm in the Middle East with Manama, um, of the Barani uh, Premier League. You helped them um, to win a championship, actually. Um, so what was that um, whole championship experience like for you compared to other, um, I guess, championships that you've sort of experienced over your career? Yeah, we won, we won three championships out there that year, <laughs> actually. Um, we had a we had a really good year. Um, my coach was a guy that I knew. Uh, he was when I was playing for the Nets one season. He was the head coach of the Charlotte Bobcats at the time. His name is Sam Vincent. Um, he also was with me over in China for one season as well. My second season in China, my other American teammate was J.R. Smith, and Sam was brought over to kind of help out with JR, you know, kind of keep him focused and everything. So I got to know Sam then. Um, Sam had called me that summer and was like, hey, you know, I know you're coming off of an injury right now. I'm going to be coaching this team in Bahrain. I need an import. Do you want to come? Um, so he really gave me the opportunity. And this kind of restarted my career. You know, I was at a point after that D-League stint where I just didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I didn't know where I was. I wasn't I, – I didn't really – perform that well like I played okay in the D league but I wasn't I wasn't great and you know was probably questioning myself a little bit and the opportunity with Manamo really kind of kick-started me back in the gear and it really kind of started what I would call my second career um in, in playing this sport and you know my teammates were great playing for Sam was great we won a lot of games I think we only lost like two or three games the whole time I was there. Um, we ended up going to a tournament, uh, a big day every year at the end of the season, they'll have um, a tournament called the GCC, which is a tournament that brings together the best teams from the Gulf Coast region. Um, that would be uh, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Dubai, um, you know, the, the countries within that, that area there. Um, we ended up placing third in that tournament. And we'd lost in the semifinals to the team that ended up winning it all. And I still think we could have beaten that team to this day, but <laughs> some, sometimes the team is just better than you. And, and that game for about three minutes of the game, they were better than us. And that was the three minutes that mattered. Uh, in 2016, um, in December, you signed with Melbourne United um, for, to come down under um, to Australia and play in the NBL. But you signed with them um, as an injury replacement um, originally, how did that opportunity um, come down um, and come down to Melbourne come about? Um, so when I when I got the call <clears throat> to come to Melbourne, uh, I was at home. I had come home from Turkey where I had been playing that year. I got injured in Turkey, and rather than let me have about five days off, the team just decided to cut me. Uh, so I came home, and I was home for a couple of months. Again, not really knowing – what opportunities were going to come up. There was a lot of questions. That was, that was when I actually started to write my blog, um, which I haven't written in a long time, but my, my first entry was during this time frame, And I was, I was sitting at home. I was at, I was at my cousin's house and we were about to sit down for dinner. It was a couple of days before Christmas. And I got a phone call from my agent and he said, look, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, I'm sitting down. What do you, what's going on? And he said, um, you know, there's a, there's a team in Australia. Um, they have a couple of guys injured. They need somebody um, to replace them. Uh, the only catch is they want you to leave within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So I thought about it for a second. I said, all right, fine, let's, let's go. <laughs> so got on the plane, had the, the worst trip I've ever had trying to get out there. Uh, it took me about 50 hours to get out to Australia wow. the first time. I won't even, won't even get into that story here. That's a story for another day. <laughs> But um, finally got out there. The bag that had all of my basketball gear in it was not there when I got there. Oh, so no. it, it actually arrived the morning of the game. <laughs> so I finally got everything the day of the game. And, you know, the, the rest is history. You know, I played that, that first game with, with United. Uh, actually, so there was – there was a very high chance that I wasn't going to be able to finish the season with Melbourne because when I think it may have been Devin, it was either Devin Williams or, um, or DA 
when one of them actually came back from their injury, mm-hmm. we had too many imports and we had, we had too many players above the salary cap level. Mm-hmm. So it was originally going to have to be me that was going to have to be sent home just, just based on league rules and salary numbers and everything. Yep. Ramon Moore got hurt, uh, I think, less than a week before that deadline mm-hmm. and ended up having a season-ending injury. And him getting hurt and having to leave the team was the only reason why I was able to finish out that season. Because when he left, that put the salary numbers to the point where I could stay. So if it wasn't for him getting hurt, I would have actually had to leave within that next week or so. Um, for that, for the next season, 2017-18 season, you re-signed um, with United, you know, with guys like Chris Golding, Casper Ware, um, Casey Prather and Coach Dan Vickerman. Can you take me through um, the start of that championship winning season for you guys? Yeah, I, I had actually – so after I left Melbourne my fir- the first season, the, the season that we were just discussing, um, I went to Hong Kong and played the last few months of a season in Hong Kong and won a championship there. So going back to Melbourne, <laughs> I lost a championship, and I wanted another one. Um, you know, we knew going into that season with Melbourne, we knew we had a very good chance to win it. You know, we knew that the team that we had the season before, if we had been able to have that team for a full year – we would have had a really good chance of winning that last year. So, so we were all very confident, very happy. Obviously, we had um, we had switched coaches and, and brought in Vico, and and Vico is great, man. Um, you know, I really Vico is one of my favorite coaches that that I have ever played for. I have a lot of respect for the guy. He has done uh, immense things in the NBL. You know, he's won multiple championships with multiple teams. Um, he has shown that he is of the highest level not only in that league, but, but around the world as well. And, you know, you couple that with the talent that we had on that team, you know, the three imports we had on that team, obviously uh, every, everybody knew who we were, you know, we had, we had Anderson who is a multi-year NBA player coming off the bench, you know, like we were loaded, (laughs) we were, we were loaded. You know, we had, we had Dave Barlow, who was, who was a timeless classic. You know, we had Ty Wesley, who, who was probably the best post scorer in the league at that time and who made all of our lives so much easier. And then, you know, obviously we, we had CG 43, but you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, just, that's just not much. Yeah. You know, you know, we, we only had one of the best shooters that the league's ever yeah. seen, you know, that's, <laughs> but, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Honestly, you know, the beginning of that year for us was really tough because we started off the season. I think we were like five and five to yeah. start the year. And everybody was questioning things. You know, we were we were arguing amongst ourselves a little bit because that's just what happens a lot of times in those situations. And I remember there was a practice that, um, you know, we all sat down. We went into the back and we had a, a kind of a players only meeting, which, again, happens a lot in these situations. Mm-hmm. And we basically said, like, look, you know, now is the time. You know, we're, we're five and five, six and five at this point. Like, mm-hmm. we got to figure this thing out and we got to figure it out now. So um, if you're with us, then you're with us. If you're not, then just say it right now and you're welcome to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously you left. But from then on, our practices became really intense. Every day we were going after each other and that started to translate over to the games. And I think we won from there like nine or 10 straight, something like that. We, we ran off a lot of wins in a row and, you know, carried that momentum right into the playoffs you know, played, played a really good New Zealand team mm-hmm. in that semifinals. Um, you know, Casper obviously had the massive game in game one to get us through that. I think he had 33 in that first game. And then, then the second game goes into overtime. And we the, – the play that won that game, it's, it's a Dean Vickerman special, mm-hmm. and he didn't even need to call it. We actually called it. From I the floor. watching that. You guys sort of went up to the bench and he's like, he's like about to like tell you guys like what to do. And you guys are like, no, no, no. Like we got this. No, no, we, we knew it was, it was a play that he has had drilled us on time and time again. It was actually a play that same play. He won a championship with in New Zealand. Um, can't remember who it was. Maybe it was a Kenny Beckway or someone who hit that, who hit a shot to win it, but they had won it with that exact same play. So we, we knew as, as soon as, 
as soon as the ball was going out of bounds, I, I don't remember who it was. It may have been Ty Wesley who said it initially. I think it was him, you know, and, and we all knew gate switch. That's what we're running, gate switch. <laughs> so, you know, Vico was like, okay, yeah, you, you guys got it. <laughs> He had enough trust in us and, and we had enough trust in his play and, and his, um, you know, preparation as far as getting us ready and the play worked perfectly. You know, Tom, Tom Abercrombie came over and made an absolutely incredible block on me mm-hmm. on the first shot. I had no idea he was even there. He covered so much ground so quickly <laughs> that I didn't even know he was there. And I just got lucky that he just happened to block it right against the backboard and it just kind of fell right into my hands for the second <laughs> shot. And, I had enough time to get up the shot. I actually wasn't even sure that I had beaten the clock mm-hmm. until like, so when you watch the video, everybody else on the team starts going crazy. As soon as I made the shot, yeah. I know that the shot counted. <laughs> so when I, I shot it and came down, I actually had to turn around and look for a referee to see if they were, you know, waving it off or if they said it was down. Yeah. So once they said it, once I saw a referee, that was when I started to actually react a little bit. But before that, I, I honestly didn't know, you know, that, that <laughs> after the shot, I wasn't sure if it counted or not. Um, now that championship series um, that year against the Adelaide 36ers, you guys won that championship in game five in Melbourne. What was the game five experience like for you? And can you open up on uh, when you were presented with that championship ring and the team was presented with the trophy? Um, so when you, when you get to deciding games in, in playoff series and especially in championship playoff series, anything can happen, you know, for, for most of the games up until then, usually the home team will have a bit of an advantage game fives or or game sevens, depending on how many games are in the series, everything goes out the window. So you just, you just never know. Um, we, we knew we had the upper hand. We knew that, um, we hadn't lost in Melbourne, all, all playoffs long. And we were determined that we were going to go out there and we were going to win that game. You know, we had, we had worked too hard. We had, we had come from too far to not finish the year the way that we knew it needed to be finished. Um, so our guys, you know, we, we went out there and we performed and, and really got it done. And to, to get that, that championship at the end was, it was a very, very special experience for me. You know, I've, I've, I've won a fair amount of championships in my career. Um, that one probably meant the most to me out of any of them. So, um, so I, I really, really will always treasure that experience. Unfortunately, I ended up with a migraine right after the game and was not <laughs> to celebrate with my teammates directly after. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, it was, it was a great experience. It really was. Uh, in the 2018-19 um, NBL season, United lost the championship series um, to the Perth Wildcats. How did you find that um, sort of experience of when you just won a championship the year before, sort of the devastation and emotions um, that followed the year after when you just came so close but couldn't get it done? Yeah, it's, it's disappointing. It's very disappointing. And, and especially when we lost at home. You know, we, we lost that final game at home. And that was, that was one thing that I did not, uh, that, you know, myself and everyone else, we went into that game thinking there is no way we're losing at home. Like we're going back to first for a game five, no matter what happens. And they just outplayed us. You know, <laughs> They were just, as, as I said, there are some nights where a team is just better than you. And that was a night where they were just better. You know, you, I could I could say that maybe it was a lack of focus on that game because we, you know, we thought for sure there's no way we're going to lose at home. But ultimately, they just beat us. And it's one of these situations where you have to just kind of tip your hat to them and say, hey, you know, you guys, you played a great game. You earned this championship. Um, it was really, really tough to sit there in Melbourne Arena and watch them, you know, get the trophy presentation. Uh, but they earned it and you can't take that away from, you know, Trevor coached a great game and those guys all played great. Um, you made the move to Illawarra um, to the Hawks ahead of the 2019-20 NBL season. How did that opportunity sort of arise for you? Uh, during the summer or really spring and summer, we had heard from a couple of different teams throughout the league. Um, Illawarra was the first team to come to the table 
with a, a legitimate solid offer to me. And I was still talking to one or one or two other teams, a couple, maybe a week or two after they had presented me with the offer, but uh, we couldn't get anything firm at that point from anywhere else. So I just decided that, you know, that was, it was time to do that. Um, at the time I was actually dating a girl in Sydney as well. <laughs> so, so she was, you know, over the moon ecstatic when, when I signed there. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was really just, they, they were the first ones. And I liked the idea of going to a really young team that needed some, some veteran leadership. And I, I liked, I always liked the idea of that challenge. And I viewed that as kind of my next challenge. You know, I was like, okay, you know, I've played with a team for a couple of years now that were, were all vets were all, they all knew the game. We had won championships together. And now it was my turn to try and, you know, lead some younger guys and to kind of, you know, help them kind of impose some of my knowledge uh, on them as well. Playing with LaMelo Ball um, at Illawarra, who's now uh, in the NBA and hopefully he gets rookie of the year. What was it like um, to work with him and get to know him and his game? Yeah, he, he deserves rookie of the year. I, I hope that having that, um, that injury in the middle of the season doesn't um, take away from him being able to get that trophy. Mm -hmm. Um, but Lamelo's a good kid, man. He coming in, I think he got a bit of a bad rap because you know his his family situation. His mm -hmm. father's very very outspoken, yeah. and and I think you know people viewed him as as something that he's not necessarily. You know, he's at the end of the day, he he was just an eighteen year old kid, so seventeen when he got to our league, but mm -hmm. an eighteen year old kid that just wanted to play basketball and and enjoy his life. And I can only imagine how difficult it would be to be somebody like him. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't have all this social media. We didn't have Instagram yeah. <laughs> and Twitter and things like this. So I can't even imagine what it's like to be 16 years old and have millions and millions of people already know who you are. Like that is a very foreign concept to me. So the fact that he's been able to deal with that for as long as he's dealt with it and still keep a decent head on his shoulders, not get too full of himself. I think that speaks volumes for the character of him and of his family as well. I think, I think his parents have obviously done a great job of, of raising him if he's been able to accomplish this as well. And not only that, he's, he's a very, very good basketball player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had a lot of talks with NBA teams this past summer who you know wanted to know what was LaMelo like, what is his game like, you know, things like that. And every one of them, I told them the same thing. I said, LaMelo has the highest ceiling, mm -hmm. meaning he could be as good as anybody. Like he had the highest ceiling of anyone that I have ever played with. You know, there's, there's no one I've ever played with that had more potential than LaMelo Ball. And it is all going to come down to, A, uh, the situation that he has around him and the people he has around him, but B, how, how good he wants to be. Because he can, he's one of these guys that can literally be as good as he wants to be. It's just a matter of how much work he wants to put in. Um, I see you've played for your home country, the USA. What does it mean to you to represent your country? Oh, that was that was great, man. That was that was an opportunity that just absolutely came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> Random messaged me one um, one day back in January and said, "Hey, um, the USA team has a." qualifying window, people qualifying window coming up in February. I spoke to the guy that puts the team together and he mentioned your name and said that he's going to bring your name to the group that, you know, will formally put the team together and there's a chance we might get on it. And a lot of times with these things, they don't happen. You know, there's a, there's a lot of times where they'll get talked about and it seems like it's a very positive thing but then it just doesn't actually come to fruition. So, you know, obviously I'm a bit skeptical. I'm like, okay, you know, that, that'd be great <laughs> if, it, if it's great, but I don't want to get too excited about it. And then he, he called me back uh, about two weeks later and was like, yeah, they, they want you on the team. So wow. um, I hadn't actually put a USA Jersey on since I was in high school. When I was in, when I was at my preparatory school, I played for a USA team that went over to France and we played some games over there. Um, I also was supposed to play for a USA team. I was supposed to play for, I think the 19 and under team. It was either the 18 and under or 19 and under team. Uh, when I was in college, 
but I had to pull out of the camp because I had an injury that I got. I think I, I had an ankle injury or something that I picked up when I was in camp, so I wasn't able to finish it. So I hadn't actually put on a formal USA jersey since I was in high school. So that was a very special experience for me um, in February to do it, even though it was only two games. And even though I only got to play in one, cause I, of course I got hurt in the first game mm-hmm. and you know, it was, it was one of these things where everybody was kind of of the opinion to rest me for the second game. You know, I, the, the big time center that they were supposed to have didn't end up playing that game anyway. So, and that was really the main reason why they were going to want me to play that game. So um, even though I had to sit out that second game, it was still great to have the jersey on for one game. I'll always have the memories. I'll always have the gear at this point. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing to tell my kids when I'm, when I'm able to do that. Uh, what was it like to take the floor, um, with Joe Johnson and Isaiah Thomas, um, playing for the USA? That was, that was really cool. I hadn't seen Joe since I was, um, playing for the Nets, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the best scorers that I've ever seen. And then Isaiah, uh, so Isaiah is a little bit younger than me. He's a few years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And he went to a prep school in Connecticut called South Kent. And the coach that he had at South Kent was actually my coach at my prep school when I was younger. <laughs> so we, we happened to have the same coach. So we had that connection. So actually, while we were there, we took a picture together and sent it to our coach so he could mm-hmm. see it. Um, so that was that was why we met Isaiah before that. Um, but he's, he's a solid guy, man. And I'm really happy to see that he's made his way back into the NBA as well. I think he's, he's definitely earned it and he's definitely more than good enough to be in that league. Um, where have you been playing uh, basketball at the moment? Um, I believe you've been playing um, in Uruguay and um, what's next on your agenda? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Uruguay at this point. We just finished up our season a couple of days ago. We lost in the playoffs. We had, we won our first round series and then lost our second series. So I'm just kind of waiting for the team to get my uh, my flight booked home, give me my final salary, and then I'll be heading back to the States. I'll go back. I'll, you know, rest for a little bit, keep my workouts up, and we'll be looking to leave to go play somewhere in, I would assume, probably August. That's usually about the time that I head out. It's just a question of where. Obviously, I would certainly love to be back in the NBL. I don't know if that's going to be an option or not. I'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, it, it's, it's harder to get jobs when you're an yep. old man, like, <laughs> and I'm 36, you know, I'll be 37. Um, thankfully I don't play like I'm an old man yet. I don't think I move like an old man yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have that going for me, but, but we'll see, you know, I, 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 I'll keep my options open. If something comes up in the NBL, then, you know, hopefully I'll be able to get back there. And if not, then we'll have to see, I could end up back here in Uruguay for all I know, or I could end up somewhere in Asia. There's just no telling. <laughs> um, how have you seen the evolution um, of having to shoot the three ball as a big man now um, compared to when you first started in the game? It really just depends on where you are in the world. Certain, mm-hmm. certain places in the world have adapted more to it. Europe has always been a league or an, an area where a lot of their big men are able to shoot. And I think that has actually translated from there into the NBA because the NBA didn't necessarily used to be like that. You know, you had you had some four men that could step out and shoot it. Occasionally you had some five men that could step out and shoot it. But for a very long time, you had two legitimate big men in the NBA. Um, but I think the the Euro influence has really affected the NBA game. And now you see that almost almost every big man could shoot. You know, some of the five still aren't necessarily shooters, but you know, all of the four men with very few exceptions can really shoot the ball. And I think in the NBL, it's, it's pretty similar as well. I think most of the four men um, can step out and shoot the ball. Obviously with our team, uh, with Melbourne, you know, we had either David Anderson, uh, Dave Bolo, or Ty Wesley playing that spot. And all three of them can shoot the three. Now Dave Barlow is the, is the best three point shooter of the group. Um, you know, DA is, is a bit more of a mid range guy and Ty is obviously more of a postman, but all three of them can still shoot the three and believe it or not, I can shoot the three as well. I just never <laughs> get the opportunity. Uh, I got to shoot two of them this year and I'm, and I was two for two. So I'm going to be shooting a lot more next year. If I'm, if I'm in a position where the coach allows me to shoot. <laughs> um, what would be your best advice to kids out there who want to become an elite and su- successful basketball like yourself? 
I mean, look, there's there's so much I so much advice that I could give. Um, just work, just work hard every day. You know, just just understand that. You know, there's going to be times where you get into situations that aren't going the way that you want them to go. You know, maybe you're maybe you're stuck on the team where you're not getting a lot of minutes or something like that. But the hard work that you put in early on is always going to show up later. Yeah. And you always want to be the hardest working guy in the room. You know, any any coach, any front office staff, anybody that makes decisions on a team, they will always notice who the hardest working guy is. Mm-hmm. And that guy will always get some type of a chance. So if you can if you can be that guy, you put yourself in so much of a better position to be successful. You know, that was something that I had to learn over the course of my career. And it took me a long time to do that. I've always been the guy that works hard, but the problem is I don't necessarily look as though I'm working that hard. Like it yeah. looks like I'm, yeah. <laughs> I make it look relatively easy. It's been something that has always been the case for me. You know, I, I run very easily. I move very fluidly. So I don't necessarily look like I'm working that hard. And I remember I had a talk with our team president in the nets and it came up that some people thought that I might be a little bit lazy. And the reason was literally because I didn't look like I was working hard. (laughs) It wasn't that I wasn't working hard. I just didn't look that way. So when you see somebody that is working extra hard, that is running really hard on sprints, that's, you know, getting their box outs, that's setting good screens, people will notice that, Mm -hmm. you know, but not only that, the work that people don't see, is very important as well. The work that you put in, in the gym, when you're not practicing with your team, when you're not playing games, like that extra stuff that you can do on your own, that will always pay off as well. Thanks, Josh, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside um, an hour or so of your time to come on and have a chat. It's been an honor. Yeah, absolutely, Max. Um, I was glad to be on. Thank you again. Thanks, Josh. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube and be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.